Welcome to the Mormons and Drugs podcast, a not-so-weekly podcast wherein I discuss the shockingly frequent intersections of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. I am Cody the pizza-slash-fry-cook, uh, history fan and ranty host. Joining me, uh, as always, is my co-host and producer, Moth Dula. Hello. Hello, Moth. Uh, and for a very this very special episode, we have a very so special, special guest. Um, uh I, I know you you want to go by Obi, is that? Yes. Okay. Um, Obi, um, who may or may not bear any relation to uh, Obadiah Dogberry, for anybody who's been listening for a while, um, has been in hiding from the Mormon church for, uh, what is it now, like 180 years? That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's it's been almost two centuries. I imagine you're... you're you got to have some like memory issues or it's a bit hazy. It's a bit hazy. Yeah. Um, so that's why, um, oh, did you attend the church then? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. No, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> it's, it's just so long. It long like ago. I said, hazy. <laughs> um, so, uh, Obi is, is joining us to, to kind of, um, perhaps rehash some of his own history and, um, uh, Wolverine style, uh, remember yeah. his own memories. Um, and we brought him in for this particular episode because we've been building to this episode for some, like the whole fucking podcast. <laughs> um, this is, if you're unaware, um, and, you know, briefly mentioned before in the last episode, I think, today is the Kirtland Temple dedication. It is it is what I consider the crescendo of Joseph Smith's um, administration of entheogenic substances to his parishioners. Uh, and the reason why I have dubbed him the Entheomagus. So Obi here, um, who has a long history with Joe, is here to 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 see the fruition of his work. Indeed, as, yes. as a prophet. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Did you announce our other guest host? Oh, I haven't uh, officially yet. The, uh, also, you'll be hearing him um, in the background. Our hellhound, uh, Radagast the the Brown, who is our new puppy hellhound. Producer, hell puppy. Mm-hmm. He is a co-producer. I guess does he help you a lot? Yeah, he helps a lot. Oh. <laughs> Ow! No eating the co-hosts, Radagast. <laughs> I'm gonna take. I'm gonna go pee really quick. Okay. Here, go ahead. We will start things. Oh he is Psycho. trying to devour Moth as we speak. <laughs> All right. So, uh, for Mr. Obi, last week, we're pretty deep into things. I can't really uh, bring you up to speed on everything that we've been doing. But br- to briefly recap... The last episode, uh, we covered some wild Mormon uh, drunken parties where they were smashing plates and turning over carriages and uh, using all of using church funds to to ha- to do all of this. It rings a bell. It sounds familiar. Sound familiar? Yeah. You've heard of something like that? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we also covered some uh, some interesting Mormon racism not being interpreted correctly by Missouri slave owners. Uh, and then this disastrous thing called Zion's Camp, where there was more weird Mormon racism uh, and a Zelf, the white Lamanite giant action hero in a weird race war. It's a long story. We shouldn't get into it. Anyway, um, 
coming back from Zion's camp, uh, Joseph had been um, promising this this moment of Pentecostal awakening. Um, if you if you're unfamiliar in the Bible, there's a talk of Pentecostalism, which is like uh, religious ecstasy or religious ext- uh, ecstaticism where um, things like speaking in tongues and rolling around on the floor and a lot of those evangelical things that we uh, think of today. Uh, that's where a lot of this uh, is is referring to, is this uh, moment of Pentecost uh, where the, you're so full of the Spirit that you perform miracles. Um, and Joseph had been promising this particular uh, Pentecostal moment during the dedication of the first Mormon temple uh, in Kirtland, Ohio. We'll see if uh, I should just read. I'm going to start reading. I should just read my script. (laughs) With the disastrous events leading up to Zion's camp fresh within the Ohio Saints' minds, the early Mormons were very much divided into two camps at that point. Those who saw Joe as he presented himself and those who saw him as he was. Uh, Smith needed a large-scale expression of his prophetic prowess to reunite his followers and reestablish his power, and the ceremonial dedication of the newly constructed Kirtland Temple provided a particularly emotional, potent moment to do so. The dedication of this temple was, in the early Mormons' mind, uh, a long-awaited crescendo in the restoration of an apostolic faith and the true religion of the Abrahamic God which is to say that this would mark the official beginning of the second coming of Christ, uh, ending in a thousand-year reign over the earth. No moment could be more psychologically and religiously primed for entheogenic administration. Wait, so Jesus was coming? This was the moment that marked the beginning of the second coming. So, again, no man knows when the second coming is coming, not even the angels. However, uh, this moment would mark... Not even the angel? It's uh, yeah. Nobody That's knows the, the yeah. It's this whole thing, but that doesn't stop people repeatedly, as we've talked <laughs> about, <laughs> from trying to predict the second coming, including Joe himself several times. But that's not going to stop him from making another prediction, <laughs> which is this is the beginning of the end. We don't know when the end is coming, but this is the beginning of that end. Is the temp the temple dedicated does it make sense you're looking at me like this doesn't make so much sense it makes no sense okay (laughs) that makes no okay Okay. we're on the same page from a manipulator standpoint it makes perfect sense okay that makes sense (laughs) that makes sense thank you so we're here got there um it is curious that during this time uh that the mormon anointing ceremonies are introduced and fleshed out which i believe we combed over last episode but these these anointing ceremonies had curiously visionary side effects um before we get too deep into those very fun accounts however we should discuss psychoactive anointing oils uh for just a moment many of the chemical constituents from the plants discussed uh in my book are uh fat soluble Uh, thus imparting their essence into when macerated and submerged in oil for a period of time. Dermal applications, or through the skin, of psychotropically laced oils are especially safe and efficient delivery method for the more toxic varieties, so like Datura. It's a good, uh, more safe way of administering Datura to someone. Because, I guess, it's slow... If you have a slow ingest, absorption, like, your, your okay. skin kind of acts as a natural filtering mechanism okay. for some of the more poisonous alkaloids. Anyway, that, that's I, I, I cover some of this in my book. Well, no, you answered I, what I, I maybe needed. Maybe we, I don't know, did we do a plants episode? 
Maybe we'll do a plants episode. We'll see. Anyway, um, like I said, many of the psychologically hazardous compounds in plants like datura, hemlock, and belladonna are somehow filtered between the fat-based extraction and the natural filtering, filtering process that takes place while being absorbed through the skin. Although some anointing ceremonies use relatively small amounts of material, others, such as the Hebrew and Christian traditions, at times use huge amounts of oil. For example, the root word That's what I'm talking for, about. <laughs> the root word for Messiah, connecting strongly to the uh, to that of massage, suggesting that the, uh, the word Messiah or anointed had been at some point rubbed with enough anointing oil to coat their whole body. Uh, the use of ritual and anointing oils is prevalent throughout world history. Psychoactive anointing oils can be found throughout ancient Africa, China, and the Americas, not to mention prominently utilized throughout the Judaic and Christian traditions, as I just mentioned. While the precise recipes of these sacred oils are at times hotly debated, the effects that they had on initiates is unambiguous and leaves little room for discussion. While largely lost to modern forms of Christianity, the esoteric traditions involving psychoactive oils seems to have been transferred via uh, early Gnostic sects. These archaic forms of Christianity were exactly what Joseph Smith and the early Mormons were seeking to revive. Uh, so when I had talked about that, that Pentecostal revival, that's what I'm referring to. Um, and the addition of similar anointing rituals in Mormon ceremonies is highly suspect. Cannabis historian Chris Bennett best illuminates the role of similar anointing oils uh, and rituals found within the early Christians. Quote, in his book Against Heresies, uh, Adverse Heresias, pivotal in the identification and reasons for suppression of the Gnostic sects, the early church father of the apologist Irenaeus, later named a Catholic saint, discussed the Gnostic texts texts which referred to the anointing rite and accused the Gnostics of initiating with sac secret sacraments, which is <laughs> very uh, Mormon. Mormons really like to drill home this uh, secret versus sacred or secret is sacred and vice versa thing. This is a very Gnostic idea. Sounds um, a little rapey. <laughs> <laughs> <Oof. clears throat> I, Sorry. I, I see where you're going. Um, I'm Sorry. not a, like... It's good to have your perspective here. <laughs> uh, so these uh, sacred sacraments stated that they were within an archaic manner, quote, to baffle even more those who were being initiated. The Nicaeans particularly referred to the anointing oil as an ineffable chrism, uh, meaning that it was so secret that it was not to be fully expressed in words. This leaves little wonder why anointing oil fell by the wayside in Catholicism and was, was replaced with later water baptism. So originally, like to be anointed in oil was your baptism, which was a late, which was later um, tr um, transferred into like a an immersion in water. But uh, not babies. <laughs> no, not babies. Actually, there's a whole um, evolution of baptism. We could do a whole episode on that too. Uh, that but originally, yeah. baptism was a totally different thing, and the way the Catholics do it, in particular, with like uh, baptizing babies, is. Uh, rather contentious among some Christians and uh, not how everybody does it and not definitely not how it was traditionally done. So no tripping babies. No tripping babies. Originally, it was just a lot of tripping adults. Naked, trip, naked, oily, tripping adults. <laughs> but, you know, I'd like to be baptized again now that I see that this is an option. <laughs> Doesn't this sound... I bet we would have a way easier time There's a baptizing whole new movement people if here. this was the sell point. Yeah. And guess what? You get a massage, 
<laughs> you get to refer to yourself as a messiah, which a lot of people are into. Um, it doesn't really mean anything, which is great. Uh, it takes all the power out of that word. Also, uh, you get to trip your balls off while getting massaged. The best, yeah, the best part. <laughs> um, uh, we don't need to get into it here, uh, but also uh, uh, connected with the anointing ceremony in traditional Judaic uh, um, rituals was the um, entering of the Holy of Holies by the high priest who would then fumigate the room with either a mixture of cannabis, like some type of psychoactive uh, substance was um, vaporized and fumigated into the room. And you basically, after getting massaged with psychotropic oil, would go into a room and hotbox yourself until you um, spoke to God in a pillar of smoke, which is... Again, highly suspect. Gee, I wonder where the cloudy heaven thing came from. This sounds really great. It's like, it's like, it's like Cheech and Chong wrote the Bible. Right. <laughs> um, so the, the continuation of transdermal applications for hallucinogenic plants survived well into the Middle Ages in the use of magical rites, both nefarious and benevolent. Such was largely the main topic of The Witch's Ointment by Tom Hatzis, uh, and while the entire book is packed full of delightful anecdotes regarding psychedelic oils, one particular scene is worth mentioning here uh, as it perfectly combines the esoteric Jewish and Christian traditions previously mentioned uh, with that of scientific approaches to medicine and mysticism. Quoting uh, Tom Hatzis, Laboring to understand the true wisdom and the mystery of the Lord, Abraham of Worms, a German-Jewish mystic, set out for the Holy Land. His teacher, Rabbi Moses of Mayence, was boring him. Abraham could learn nothing more with superstitious secrets collected with various infidels, full of nonsense and foolishness of pagans and idolaters, rather than the holy truth. On his way home to Mainz, Abraham passed through Austria, where he found, quote, an ineptitude of magicians. One such person, a young girl living in Linz, promised to take Abraham by means of magic to a town he wanted to visit. To his surprise, she presented him with a special ointment. She oiled him on the arteries of his hands and feet with her goop and likewise rubbed herself, falling into soparatum, which is like a deep sleep. Abraham felt like he was journeying to the town which he in his heart wished to visit. Once awake, Abraham believed he had been far away. The girl awakened shortly afterwards and told Abraham of their trip. Her version of the journey was totally different from his. She hadn't flown with him anywhere. The Hebrew mystic's conclusions were telling. There was no magic at all, just a good fantastic sleeping ointment that made all imaginations appear as reality. Unfortunately, Abraham informs that since the natural masters know of these ointments, he feels it unnecessary to write about them here. Despite over 2,000 years of use, at this time, there is a serious lack of published information regarding the specifics of dermal applications of psychedelics. Although, the best book that I've read that gave a perspective of someone doing the ointment, but a witch one specifically, was Juniper, where they kind of just... The, the she had an elderly witch who was teaching her how to do it and she did the bathing so she bathed once she got into this tub and then she did a second bath mm -hmm. and then um put on this ointment that eventually she got to fly um but they wrote it really cleverly that you weren't really sure if she was actually flying or if she was tripping and you could tell that she was definitely just tripping balls mm -hmm. um and they went into the plants a little bit i 
believe I, I need to reread the book, but it, that's like that book explains it. Yes. I think this book, Juniper, where it does that in this particular perspective gives you a much better idea. And it does seem historically accurate to mm-hmm. what they would have done. I have to look that up. That sounds interesting. There are we a few it plants. Downstairs. It's interesting that the, the, <laughs> a lot of the recipes we are aware of use a bunch of different um, psychotropics. So like, They'll use hemlock, which gives right. you a floating sensation, right. and then they'll use datura, which gives you visions, and they'll use cannabis, which relaxes you, and they'll, they'll but they right. use like a combination right. of things that elicit this flying experience. And then there's other ointments that do other things, that, like and let you travel in different ways. It's very right. Interesting. This, there was a specific one that they had where it was like to travel and then to communicate with others that mm-hmm. were far away. And then like uh, for example, in uh, Germanic folklore, there are ointments that are the roots of the werewolf legend so there are certain ointments that you put on to become a werewolf or to like oh, to cool. transform into a wolf um and, and you have to use it in conjunction with like a magic belt made of wolf pelts so like you have to use this magic talisman in conjunction with a psychedelic oil in conjunction with the moon in conjunction like all these things turn into you transforming into a wolf um that's interesting so you could use the same medicine well, the same application to but, give different experiences, right? So the it's the it's the wolf pelt and and the moon and everything that make you have the the wo- werewolf, yes, specific. Yeah. That's and then cool. There, and then like the witch's ointment was so you could um, meet in meet together at the Sabbath, and so you would right. fly together yeah. to meet at the Sabbath and use your witch's ointment to like spectrally or or astrally fly to the location you know what i mean exactly um um it's really like psychedelic oils is is a fascinating topic that does not get enough attention um and especially in christian rites where you are being anointed with oil it needs to (laughs) have more attention paid to it um it seems like set and setting were accounted for way back then definitely they knew what they were doing That's even awesome. though they didn't use those words yeah. per se they definitely were using appreciating them as appropriate variables they needed to consider so but where oh shit where am i <laughs> <laughs> i went on a tangent <laughs> um um, so as we've discussed earlier, maybe in other episodes, I, I it all bleeds together. I don't even know what we've talked about anymore. I'm sorry, uh, Obi. I know you don't. I'm, I'm supposed to be leading. I'm you so lost this. right now. I'm lost with you. Let's. <laughs> Where are we, man? <laughs> I, again, it's like cheating. <laughs> so as we may or may not have discussed, um, the plant Datura. Uh, Joseph Smith's first wife, Emma, seems to have been competent and capable with Datura-based salves in particular. Although evidence for an unambiguously hallucinogenic recipe remains lost to history, the potential for future researchers to discover it certainly remains probable. Um, This is a kind of little-known thing. It's, It's like a really weird niche thing known among really, really weird Mormon historians. Um... Emma Smith, Joseph's wife, had a, a recipe for a detura that made a salve, which actually Bryce Blankenagle brought to my attention, uh, the podcaster of Naked Mormonism, um, and very nicely brought over all the materials for us to make it one time. And we we made it um, 
trying to figure out if it would make a hallucinogenic compound or not. And it, it very clearly was, uh, as, as labeled, it was for asthma or for like colds or breathing problems. So it was a bit like Vicks Vapor Rub, but it used Detura to kind of open up your, your capillaries, which Detura does. The issue with this, or the reason why it's interesting, is that someone who uh, harvests Detura, especially somebody who deals with it at all, has to know about its toxicity. Because it is a ah, highly toxic plant. Right. You have to know when to harvest it, how to harvest it, what to harvest, how to process it. And she gives you a very safe way of doing that to make a, com- a like an oil that's like Vicks Vapor Rub. And it's supposed to be used for that purpose. This also suggests that she very probably knew how to use its other off-label <laughs> applications as well. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, so the reason why it's interesting is is that if she if she knew how to make the one thing using a very toxic, dangerous plant, someone at some point probably explained to her how to make the other variety of this or use it in a different way. Um, but when we tried to make it, when you were reading it, it sounded like they needed the flower and we had the seeds. Uh, she so what she did she describes it being harvested while the the buds are still green. Right. And as from what I I am not a detour expert. I've talked to people who are plant experts, and they have told me that in the way she describes this particular recipe, when you harvest the green buds, they are not particularly toxic right. or potent in visionary material. They can be used for the application she's talking about, though. Um, but all of them have said, like, if you know how to do this, <laughs> someone had to have explained to you that if you don't, if you miss this by even a couple weeks, just even like a week, this can be dangerous and like hurt people or like make them see visions and stuff like that's someone had to at least warn her how to do this. So the fact that well, she, she screwed up, <laughs> <laughs> but um, she kept this recipe with the family Bible. And so the fact that it was like the this woman was competent with plants. And the fact that she used such a recipe and kept it with her family Bible for her kids was like she was passing this information along verbally. And she even in her letter where she mentions this says, like, I've told you how to make this before, but here's the here's the recipe, you know, and I'll I'll send it along with our family Bible. It, it was an important thing to her and her family. And they all knew how to use plants. This is just another instance of the Smith family do, knowing how to utilize very toxic plants for <laughs> safe and uh, off-label application. Oh, God. Uh, so, tangent, tangent, tangent. Um, <laughs> note that Abraham, uh, mentioned in the, the, the quote other earlier, uh, otherwise known as Abramelin the Mage, uh, a famous and quietly circulated uh, European grimoire. These names are amazing. Amazing. Uh, he casually mentioned that the sages and mystics knew of psych- psychotropic ointments uh, and so felt it unnecessary to write about them here. Like, they were so common that just like, I'm not, back in a time where like paper was valuable, he was like, I'm not going to waste the paper to give you a recipe for something everyone knows how to make. Like, uh, if you're reading this book, you know how to make an ointment. So I'm not going to waste the paper. That's how prevalent these things were, despite the fact that we today have almost no no recipes for how to make them. Again, people were passing this info- information along, usually via word of mouth. Very few people knew how to read at that point. So Joseph's newfound Hebrew tutor uh, at this point, Josias, uh, Joshua Sykes. Sykes. Joshua Sykes. Jo- Joshua Sykes. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua Sykes. 
began teaching at the School of Prophets uh, and Smith personally at approximately the same time that Smith obtains his mummy of Abraham and begins uh, using clearly psychoactive anointing oils in much the same manner as discussed uh, by Abraham of Worms. So he has he has access to the the material that would teach him how to do this. He already knew people who knew how to do it. like the, I can only give you so much evi- circumstantial evidence <laughs> without giving you like a smoking gun. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yep. Like everyone around him knew how to do this. He was yep. being taught by people who knew of these 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 books and these works and owned copies of them. So it's just it's very interesting that at this time is when he introduced all of that. Robert Beckstead, uh, the guy that kind of started most of this research, originally suggested that the incorporation of the anointing oils was brought onto the Mormons via Peter Kerr, who we've maybe briefly mentioned, uh, who's usually referred to in the records as Black Pete. Thank you, Radagast. Thank you. (laughs) He was chiming in. I'm sorry. So Beckstead contends, uh, or anyway, uh, he was usually referred to in the records as Black Pete, uh, a respected-ish, if eccentric, root doctor based in Kirtland, Ohio. Beckstead contends that Pete was probably trained by his mother, a slave originating from West Africa, where the use of psychedelic oils was common. Um, and indeed, Peter Kerr seems to uh, be the only one of a handful of black men who were admitted into the church at that time. Furthermore, he was even given the priesthood, which was... Did not happen for another almost two centuries. Uh, Peter Kerr's introduction and unique position in the early church, most especially as a pronounced visionary and religious fanatic by the Kirtland community, correlates nicely with the Mormon incorporation of the anointing ceremonies and is certainly highly suspicious and deserves further investigation. Um, I don't necessarily think, like I said, Joseph knew a lot of people that knew how to do this. I don't think we need to hang our hat on, on Peter Kerr. Um, but it is definitely a possibility that he was involved in this. Um, admittedly, uh, both scenarios are highly speculative and lack any real evidence, like I've mentioned, just circumstantial. Uh, furthermore, the recipes and utilization of psychoactive anointing oils could have been transmitted to Smith by a great number of sources, like I mentioned, almost at any point in his career, uh, since he was a teenage magician. However, it came to Smith. Evidence does exist that the anointing ceremonies he introduced and personally administered uh, regularly induced visionary experiences. These visionary experiences curiously began about an hour or more after the administration and lasted many hours. Coupled with the Lord's Supper of entheogenically laced wine, Joseph Smith and the School of Prophets were experiencing visionary and transcendent states of consciousness for, at times, several days in a row. Uh, in Smith's own words, the hierarchy utilized the newly completed but closed to the Mormon public Kirtland Temple for initiating anointing ceremonies. So they had constructed the Mormon Temple. It was closed to the Mormon public, but the hierarchy could go in and do their secret anointing Party. ceremony. Mm. Yeah, it's based on the other accounts we read last week. It sounds, yeah, maybe like a party. House. party. So these ceremonies... I remember. I, Sick, that bro. Sounds you weren't familiar. there. You no, weren't no, there. I wasn't there. No, you weren't no, there. You weren't no, there. Oh, God this damn it. This doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> you may have had several head you injuries. You probably and... were peeking in the window. Guys, but... I'm really old. 
<laughs> I'm glad we get, we're here to refresh. You. That's, I, I'm sorry you've had to live so long. And you in guys have been very kind. Yeah. <laughs> um. So these ceremonies uh, that caused visionary hallucinations shortly after uh, oil administration. Quote on January the twenty first, eighteen thirty six. So they're just there, like lubing each other up. Apparently, there was some hot feet action because a lot of the anointing ceremonies involved the feet. That's Um, interesting. They would do a washing and anointing ceremony involving the the feet feet. and head. Do Mormons still do that? Do they have a foot Um, thing? I have. (laughs) It is not a normal thing. I have seen authority. It's a scene from the Bible where where Jesus washes the feet of his his disciples and like it. Okay, it's a whole thing. But I've seen people do this as an act of like, look how humble I am, and like I'm here to be your. I'm just like Jesus, but it's not a normal like thing everyone has to do. Okay, Um, Mormons don't have a. Originally, the anointing ceremonies would would be a washing and anointing of your feet and head and like most of your body. Um, in the in the traditional like Judaic and Christian esoteric forms. Okay. So again, on January twenty first, eighteen thirty six, this is Joseph Smith himself, mind you, Joseph Smith in his own words. About three o'clock p.m., I dismissed the school and the presidency, retired to the attic story of the printing office. This is where they had all their their school of prophet meetings. Uh, where we attended to the ordinance of washing our bodies in pure water. We also perfumed our bodies and our heads in the name of the Lord. At an early candlelight, I met with the presidency at the West Room in the temple to attend to the ordinance of anointing our heads with holy oil. The presidency then took the seat in their turn, according to their age, beginning at the eldest and received their anointings and blessings under the hands of Father Smith. This is Joseph Sr., and in my turn, my father anointed my head and sealed upon me the blessings of Moses. And this is kind of why I think Smith Sr. was involved in all of this, uh, at least from the beginning, because he seems to uh, be involved in a lot of this. Continuing on, uh, quote, The heavens were opened upon us, and I beheld the celestial kingdom of God and the glory thereof. Whether in the body or not, I cannot tell. I saw Father Adam and Abraham and my father and mother and my brother Alvin and uh, that has long since slept. His brother Alvin died uh, a long time ago. I, I'm sure you, you, you're recalling this. You remember when Alvin oh, yeah, died. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. There was that whole kerfuffle with the necromancy and digging up Alvin's corpse that you wrote about, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. You, re- you, you, you remember that yes. now? Interesting. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> quote, I also beheld Elder McClellan in the south, standing upon a hill, surrounded by a vast multitude preaching to them. Also, Elder Brigham Young, standing in a strange land in the far south and west, in a desert place, upon a rock in the midst about a, of about a dozen men of color who appeared hostile. Um Given what we know about Brigham Young, it's no surprise that men of color would be hostile around him. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, the bishops and their counselors received their anointings uh, and under the hands of Father Smith and confirmed by the presidency and the glories of heaven were unfolded to them also. The president of each quorum then anointed the heads of his colleagues, each in turn. The visions of heaven were opened to them also. Some of them saw the face of the Savior, and others were administered by the holy angels. And the spirit of prophecy and revelation was poured out in a mighty power, all consumed with the heavenly host. And I saw in my vision all of the presidency in the celestial kingdom of God and many others that were present. Later, he says, we were tired about one and two o'clock in the morning. So, 
They started at 3 p.m. That's quite the trip. <laughs> That's quite a trip. After about a, an 11-hour anointing ceremony that proved visionary for both men who attended and Joe himself, Joe held another such meeting the following day. This time, so this whole week, Joe is just amping up to this temple dedication. The whole week is like this. So this time, the visions followed him home and through the night. Quote, again, this is Joseph Smith himself. <laughs> this is Joseph describing this. Quote, I, I, I fucking love it when people say I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like anti-Mormon nonsense. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just making this up. Like, this is Joseph's own words. I'm sorry. Right. You just need to read it contextualized. Like, quote, Friday morning, the 22nd, attended at the schoolroom. We spent the time in rehearsing to each other the glorious scenes that transpired on the preceding evening. They were giving each other trip reports. While attending to the ordinance of the holy anointing. While they were anointing to each other again. They were talking about the cool stuff they saw the night before. <laughs> Continuing on. After calling to order and organizing, the presidency proceeded to consecrate the oil. Which means just bless it. And and, and as we this, know, this definitely sounds like people that know what they're doing with oh, these chemicals if they're able to go right back into oh, it. We had this this school of prophets. A lot of these men were doctors. A lot of these men were like, sir, like these men definitely knew what they were doing and had the means. And a lot of them had like uh, herbal gardens for producing their own stuff. Like okay. this, the, they had the means, the method and the, the, the know-how. Mm-hmm. So, after calling to order and, an or- and organizing, the presidency proceeded to consecrate the oil. I then poured the consecrated oil upon his, Thomas, Mar- Thomas Marsh, uh, head in the name of Jesus Christ. He poured the oil on his head. He then anointed and blessed his brethren from the eldest to the youngest. The twelve then proceeded to anoint and bless the presidency of the seventy and seal upon their heads the power and authority to anoint their brethren. The heavens were opened upon the elder uh, Sylvester Smith, uh, Joseph's little brother. And he, leaping up, exclaimed, The horsemen of Israel and the chariots thereof. Uh, Brother Don C. Smith, Joseph's other younger brother, was also anointed and blessed to preside over the high priesthood. The gift of tongues fell upon us in a mighty power. Remember, they said, gift of tongues is bad. We don't do that anymore. Except in these private meetings where they do a bunch of drugs and then they all... (laughs) talk gibberish to each other anyway um <laughs> so the 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 gift of tongues fell upon us in a mighty power angels mingled their voices with ours while their presence was in our midst and unnes- unceasing praises swelled our bosoms for the space of half an hour so for a whole half an hour this whole group is like just <laughs> they're all vibing with each other I then observed to the brethren that it was this time to retire. We returned home about two o'clock in the morning. Again, an 11, 12 hour ceremony. <laughs> and the spirit and visions of God attended me through the night. So he went home yep. and kept tripping balls. Yep. I can imagine. I'm yeah. sorry, but like, we're going to, it's going to get crazier, <laughs> but just, just now. I'm already exhausted. <laughs> just now, pause. And I, I challenge you, anyone, find me a more, find me a, a, a more objective method of getting men to experience this thing. 
and take it home and, and take it home and continue having visions through the night. Give me, give me something other than drugs, please. And I'll consider it. But there's, there's, I don't see any other way of doing that <laughs> reliably. You pour psychedelic oil all over your body. Especially when you describe it yeah. as we did the oil anointing. And then about an hour later, after all this stuff, we started seeing visions. And then it it, 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 I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, to piece this all together. I just, it, getting people to even take it seriously to hear this information is, is, is infuriating sometimes. Um so uh, this ceremony may have been preceded or pre- uh, precluded by a sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which we've mentioned a lot of times, um, a, a suspiciously visionary variety of laced wine. From the Tanner's publication, Salt Lake City Messenger, one attendee of the private sessions held in the unopened Kirtland Temple, the same thing that we're talking about at the same time. Milo Andrews, a faithful 70 who had been a member of the ill-fated Zion's camp, we talked about last episode, uh, despaired of seeing the celestial visitors until Joseph told him to continue to fast and pray. Quote, when we had fasted for 24 hours, marveled Milo, and partaken of the Lord's Supper, namely a piece of bread as big as your double fist and half a pint of wine in the temple, I was there and saw the Holy Ghost descended upon the heads of those (laughs) presents. Like cloven tongues of fire. (laughs) I said it is enough, Father, and I will bear a faithful testimony of it while I live. What was enough? The tripping? The tripping, yeah. Okay. In the 138 years of temple activity that followed, the charge of drunkenness was not again hurled. Complete observance of the word of wisdom came to to be a requirement for the thousands of zealous workers in the 17 temples built between 1841 and 1974. Others than some allusions to wine drinking in the Nauvoo Temple, there seems to be no reference uh, to intoxication in the score of exposés of temple procedures that came from the pens of saints and apostates willing to break their vow of secrecy. Wait. So this, after this point yeah. is when this all goes completely underground. And okay. no one... It's not already... It sounds like it's already underground. It's already underground. But as we've seen, there's an evolution of secrecy. Where originally they're doing this in the open in the Isaac right. Morley forum. And they thought everyone would be on board. And, and then they like, start reporting it in the newspapers. Right. And then they close it down. And it's right. only for members only. Underground club. And then people start speaking in tongues and doing this Pentecostal shit in public. And, and then they do it even further. And now it's only in the temple. And now we have this new temple. And it's only for the secret members. And But there's this, like any, like any cult, there's this evolution of secrecy and who gets to do it and who gets to have access to God's word and everything. Mm. Um, But if you read their own accounts, (laughs) (laughs) literally they're using 19th century language. Yes, I'll give you that. (laughs) But they're pretty unambiguously talking about this. (sighs) so, uh, in the midst of these early entheogenic sessions, uh, as well as continuous reports of the Mormon hierarchy's intoxication during uh, church sessions and ceremonies, Smith maintained a public advocate of the temperance movement, from whose pamphlets his word of wisdom was largely derived. As the editor of the church publication The Millennial Star, Joe published on the 12th of March, 1836... Not very far <laughs> after his uh, earlier account of the anointing oil ceremonies, uh, closed doors. Wait, what? Wasn't that in January? Um, 
was January 21st. Or am I thinking of a different January one? 21st, yes, you're right. Nice memory. Good. Um, <laughs> so just a couple months after those anointing ceremonies. That's right, bitch. <laughs> Joseph said, quote, I was informed today that a man by the name of Clark, who was under the influence of ardent spirits, froze to death last night near his place. What? Oh my God. How long will this monster intemperance find its victims on the earth? Methinks, I love that he says methinks, methinks until the earth is swept under the wrath and indignation of God and Christ's kingdom becomes universal. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, and cut short thy work in righteousness, unquote. (laughs) So this is the stuff he's publishing publicly about like, whoa, the the horrors of intemperance, which is drunkenness, while publicly, <laughs> while privately doing the things we talked about Getting earlier. Shit-faced. Getting shit-faced. And then, if you remember uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked. We had that quote where somebody said he was a right jolly prophet and fell asleep with his boots on oh, in a yeah. ditch. in the ditch, <laughs> yeah, in the gutter. <laughs> he was also seen passed out in a ditch <laughs> while publicly proclaiming the the horrors of uh, intemperance this this plays out just like a lot of things i go on these days uh do it's... as i say not as i do yeah Word. yeah nothing has changed <laughs> just 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 how people sell it yeah so uh again while while publicly railing against the devils and evils of intoxication and intemperance, <laughs> Smith was not unique in his hypocrisy. Remember the, the concept or, or threshold for public intoxication at this time period was very different than the modern day, as was the lack of attention or care to the oh, cause of said intoxication. It was high. Sorry. <laughs> it was very high. Very, um, very high. So, uh, back at this time period, uh, it was not so much whether or not you were uh, uh, drunk or not, it was whether or not you were a problem to the people around you. Not until you were a raving drunken lunatic were you considered a drunken lunatic. Okay. <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah. Um, and it didn't matter what caused the drunkenness. Like, nobody gave a shit about whether or not you did drugs or drank, but it was just like, you're a problem now, and you're drunk, was was how they described that. I don't know. That sounds like a good system, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is most of human history. If you're a problem, then we'll then you're a problem. Then we'll deal with yeah. you, and we have laws for that. But if you're you're doing your thing and you're not bothering me, then you handle your shit. Um, I feel like that status holds for the rich. Yeah. Still. Oh, for yeah. sure. Totally. You can buy your way out of anything. Yeah. <laughs> not then. Not even buy. People will just be like, oh, well, he's. He's making us millions, so his yeah. coke fee. Yeah, Elon fine. Mu- Elon Musk uh, t- uh, <laughs> tweeting about his LSD trips with Grimes. Really? I'm sure. Yeah, oh, it was weird how that. we all just overlooked that, and no, no, none of the police were investigated. Hey, it's, he's isn't given, that weird? He's giving people internet. Let him do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why <laughs> his uh, his tunnel through. Oh, wow, God, never. Speaking of, round. wait, wait, this is my moment. Speaking of Grimes. I can tell people about oh god dolphin midwife speaking um, yeah, as a as a doula <laughs> as a moth doula. well we can kill two birds with one stone people a lot oh, of yeah. people have asked about your name um, one uh, more, more? Than one. really more than one it's been a okay. what does your years. name mean no Ma- moth special. like a like a <laughs> like an insect butterfly moth yep and doula like the person that helps you have a baby yeah like D O U L A. 
Yeah, you do. Yep, you oh, did it. There you go. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Um, so moth doula. Yeah. As a doula. But you're there advocate. is a band. I don't know if it's a band. Is it more? It might be one person. But they're doula. Oh, I'm messing this up. It's dolphin midwife. Moth, dolphin midwife. So Very moth relaxing doula is promoting music. dolphin midwife. They're a step up because they're an actual midwife. I just support. They actually can have the babies. <laughs> but it's it's awesome I, I forgot you wanted to drop the uh the dolphin midwife check I, out that, it's that on was spotify the drop was I it the spotify yeah, check out dolphin midwife on spotify it's nice uh calming calming it is uh, really calming music. good music to do too okay that's horrible now that i'm taking so much time. <laughs> as, as somebody who's like what what are what am i 180 years old it's all the, you had were midwives it's, and doulas it's the best music I've i'm ever so heard. sorry oh. to, to history splain drunkenness to you i just i forget how old you are because you look so young yeah. i'm sorry to, to but i'm sorry you're telling just... stories in my life now you know why i can't remember shit okay. anymore I, I, you're in the throes all these psychedelics of... we used to do <laughs> that's right you guys you did a lot of drugs we're all messed up yeah partied hard back then seriously but you know that's the way you get through and look at the world we left you <laughs> thanks bud thanks. Yeah, thanks thanks for that so um Given how they uh, viewed drunkenness at that time period, uh, much could be quietly swept under the rug without without much fuss, uh, so long as such matters were done discreetly. Like, you could do pretty much whatever you wanted back then. Rape, as long as it wasn't... Murder. You, you know, I'm sure you would do a rape or a murder if mm-hmm. uh, as long as nobody saw you do it. Yep. I'm sure. Um, so, uh, as one Kirtland resident uh, remembered of this time period, quote... Sixty years ago, the drinking habit had become universal. Each township could count its old toppers. Old toppers were like professional drunks. Oh. Old toppers by the dozen. All drank, more or less. It was no disgrace to be seen slightly intoxicated. (laughs) The minister could not preach well without his morning bitters. Meaning whiskeys. An old gentleman of Painesville told me a few years ago since that this was his business, being the son of a deacon, to stand in the lobby and hand the minister a dram to brighten his ideas and give point and energy to his sentence. Visitors were not treated cordially if the decanter was not set out. Haying and harvesting could not be done without Wait. the taking of whiskey bottle to the field. So it'd be just an asshole to people who came in if he wasn't drunk. If you showed up and <laughs> if you showed up to a party and people yeah. didn't have a dram of whiskey out and stuff, you were like, "What the fuck, dude?" I, you know, we think as humanity we're like progressing towards something. <laughs> I think this was the pinnacle of humanity. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds like a total Straight cartoon. Forward. He finishes with, for all our trainings, bees and trainings, it was not, it was an absolute necessity. The officers that did not bring on the liquor at our meetings was considered hogs. Oh, damn. Is that the first time we called a cop a pig? This was a Mormon, by the way. This is a Mormon saying this. (laughs) So, like, in, in Mormon Kirtland... If right. if you showed up to a party and there wasn't whiskey hanging out, and you showed up, uh, so the, a, a lot of their like policing and and such was done by the elders. So if you showed up to a policing meeting and the the and lead constable didn't BYOB, um, fuck you, fuck you, dude. I'm not hanging out and watching people do stuff unless I'm I leaving. get to drink. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't. It's, 
The, the attitudes among Mormons, shall we say, <laughs> has changed a bit. <laughs> well, now you bring a casserole. <laughs> now you bring a casserole. B-Y-O-J. A lot of jello. Um, don't mention how much caffeine is in the hot chocolate. It doesn't go well. I I I, I have <laughs> a friend. Did, I have like a friend who talked. Yeah, I don't. Not from personal experience. There's caffeine in hot chocolate. Dude. <laughs> chocolate is a lot of caffeine. Um, we don't need to go down that tangent Um, so in the same month that he issued this public outcry against the evils of intemperance Smith would also see to the administration of psychedelically laced sacramental wine to some 500 parishioners damn that's a lot not only with I, where did they get was, these resources from? 19th century Mormon Burning Man. This is what that's what the Kirtland Temple dedication. We're gonna get into some accounts. Like that just oh, just wait. Okay. <laughs> this is again. This is the crescendo of Joe's career. <sighs> just wait. Not only would this prove his large, the largest of his choreographed entheogenic sessions, but was also skeptically recorded later by those uh, disaffected with Joseph Smith. It, it should be noted here that many of those accounts came from men who were not anti-Mormon, as I was taught growing up, but rather anti-Joseph Smith, <laughs> which is, I think, if you've listened thus far, That's fair. Uh, should come off as pretty fair. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> um, so on March 27th, 1836, nearly after nearly a year of psychologically prepping his congregation for this temple dedication, Joseph Smith led the dedication session of this first Mormon temple at Kirtland, Ohio. After administering over a barrel of housemade Smith's Reserve sacramental wine <laughs> to the congregation of some 500 parishioners, Jeez. Smith, shouting encouragingly, quote, do not quench the spirit, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> and the assembly soon found the, the meeting to become rather progressively ecstatic, shall we say. <laughs> um, it was reported, however, that they uh, consumed a barrel of wine and other liquors at the dedication of the temple, uh, enabling some of them to see angels, have visions, prophesy, and dream dreams. That's a quote from a, a, a local. Anyway. For sure uh, they were doing, like, beer... <laughs> oh, keg stands or oh no, oh, beer bongs, beer bongs of uh, sacramental wine. <laughs> I want if there's a winemaker out there, please, God in heaven, will you please make Smith's Reserve sacramental wine we for us? We actually know a winemaker. Do we? And he actually has ties to. <gasps> I forgot. Yep. We need to ask him to make us just, even if it's just a label. Oh, my God. <laughs> Smith's Reserve Sacramento Wine. I mean, it's wine. his dad's company. Circa 1836. We should ask. Please, Although God I heard he moved back to California. Oh, no. But we still got the inside. We drank too. We're going on too many times. <clears throat> anyway, Sorry. Um, <laughs> so several of the hierarchy, uh, including Cowdery and many of the Smith men, uh, meaning Smith's younger brothers, uh, began to s- prophesy in tongues, which was, again, not cool at this point, but they did it anyway because a lot of, you know, once you get a little that Smith's Reserve. Um, <laughs> Smith's Reserve, that's what we should call it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I said. Make me a label. Smith's oh, Reserve no. Sacramental Wine. Please, God in heaven, there's got to be there's a... There's got to be a winemaker. Just give me a label. Even if you're not a winemaker and you're just a graphic designer, Smith's Reserve Sacramental Wine. Please, God. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, 
Um, all of the the people in the, well, while the congregation saw visions, which Joe had primed them for for, for months or even years at that point uh, for themselves. This quote is from Joseph Smith himself. Quote, Brother George A. Smith arose and began to prophesy when a noise was heard like the sound of a rushing mighty wind, which filled the temple and all the congregation simultaneously arose, being moved upon by an invisible power. Many began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Others saw glorious visions and I beheld the temple was filled with angels, which fact I declared to the congregation. The people to this neighborhood came running together hearing an unusual sound within, and seeing a bright light like a pillar of fire resting upon the temple, and were astonished at what was taking place. Unquote. <laughs> what was the pillar of fire? It was all the, all the Holy Spirit that Joseph had <laughs> Oh, I just imagine like there was a curtain on fire or something, and they're just like, ah! <gasps> Maybe, given the, the <laughs> plate-smashing parties we read about earlier. Um, so, certainly astonished. One loyal Mormon source, uh, Herbert C. Kimball, who is about as not anti-Mormon as you can get. Herbert C. Kimball is very pro-Mormon. <laughs> he reported his own his own visions uh, of an angel uh, angelic administration during the dedication ceremony and uh, some other miraculous visions claimed by the hierarchy there. Quote, during the ceremonies of the dedication, an angel appeared and sat near the Prophet Joseph Smith Sr. and Frederick G. Williams so that they had a fair view of his person. He was a very tall personage, black eyes, white hair, and stoop shoulders. His garment was whole, extending to his near his ankles. On his feet he had sandals. He was sent as a messenger uh, to accept of some dedication. While these things were being attended to, uh, the beloved disciple John was even seen in our midst by the prophet Joseph, Oliver Cowdery, and others, unquote. So John so the, from the was, Bible was, I, yeah, was hanging out, is, I guess. Just, just do you know who that is? Being John. I don't know who that is. That's but... before your time, even. Yeah. John's John's from a while ago. <laughs> a, okay. He's a, he's a 2 k -er, I guess. You're a, you're a, you're a two hundo. Yeah. He's a two Ker. You're These are very inside jokes. I'm, I'm not understanding. I'm, you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> probably no one is getting them. <laughs> There's one person. I'm sure. It's oh, probably God. Bryce. Probably but laughing. <laughs> La mildly laughing. <laughs> this is probably what I just got now. Um so others uh gathered in the congregation at this time experienced the same visionary state. Uh, but saw the catalyst for what they were. Um, prominent Mormon John C. Bennett, uh, a personal assistant and one-time friend of Joseph Smith, who would later go on to become a mayor of Nauvoo, commented on the dedication ceremony. Nauvoo, isn't that a Star Wars? I'm a little Naboo. confused on that as well, yes. Obi, Obi, you want to tell Obi, us about Nauvoo? Totally <laughs> just, <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot of coincidences going on here. <laughs> okay, sorry, go on. <laughs> Um, it's almost like we're trying to get into an algorithm because of the popularity of an upcoming... We, uh, <laughs> this has nothing to do with any new series coming this, out soon. This is Obadiah Dogberry. <laughs> Not an unnamed um, sorcerer spaceman. Uh, from a much more interesting fictional From a timeline. Dune knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, so 
<laughs> God, where was I? I know. Okay, so this Tangent. is uh, this is John C. Bennett, uh, future mayor of Nauvoo. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, not Nauvoo. Um, quote: They spent the day in fasting and prayer, and in washing and perfuming their bodies. They also washed their feet and anointed. They called the feet thing again. Yeah, that feet thing. They got a feet thing. You know, most of this, I just want to go to a spa now. Like, I know, this talk. whole thing makes me just want um, to go to a spa. I'm going to give you my own bottle rocks. of oil. Sounds you funny. put gloves on <laughs> and rub this into me. Rub this into Yeah, put gloves on. Put, yeah. I'm going to drink this don't wine. don't touch it. I'm going to, yeah, I'm um, going to drink this first. Mm-hmm. Just ignore whatever noises I make and whatever nonsense I spout. Really go style. at it at my feet. Just go hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special spot that we're gonna open up. Spot. It's a open special it up. Spot open one up temple. right next to every single Mormon temple. <laughs> oh God, where am I? <laughs> I feel like we've earned this at this point. <laughs> we've we've gone through a lot of episodes. Um, so they they did the feet thing, uh, and they anointed their. Uh, they called their holy oil and pronounced blessings. In the evening, they met for an endowment. The fast was broken by eating a light wheat bread and drinking as much wine as they saw proper. <laughs> so, as much wine as you want. That's what, in the waiting room of our spa, we should just yeah. give them two fistfuls of wine. A I bread. mean, a bread, sorry. Yeah. And then, and then, and then a, just a pint a, of wine. We should just fill a water dispenser <laughs> with <What>? Joe's, <laughs> Joe's Reserve. Joe's Reserve. <laughs> and just with a sign that says, as much as you want. <laughs> Until you're a problem. <laughs> Until you're a problem. <laughs> that's, that's all it says. Until you're a problem. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like the good old Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in parentheses. Oh, God. <laughs> right, I'm sorry. Where the hell am I? I'm still in the same quote. <laughs> Nobody's still... going to want old Obi back for any episodes. <laughs> still John C. Bennett talking. Um, the fast was broken by eating a light wheat bread and drinking as much wine as they saw proper. Smith knew well how to infuse the spirit which they expected to receive, so he encouraged the brethren to drink freely, telling them that the wine was consecrated and would not make them drunk. They began to prophesy, pronounce blessings upon their friends, and curses upon their enemies. If I should be so unhappy as to go the regions of the damned, I would never expect to hear language more awful or more becoming of the infernal pit than was uttered that night. Who was it? Angry. At the first Mormon temple dedication hmm. <laughs> is, was, oh, is what he's describing. Oh my gosh. That's yes. not a good start. <laughs> but Hateful but stuff. so he was telling people to drink as much as they want this wine's consecrated so when i was a kid um they would tell you that uh so when jesus turned wine into water uh-huh. back then wine was just basically like grape juice it was like a it was like a safe way of drinking water so like wine wasn't super alcoholic so like you could drink a lot of wine and not get drunk so, so when they like talk kombucha? about when they <laughs> yes okay. yes so when they talk about wine in the bible and in the book of mormon mm-hmm. and like when joseph used to drink wine mm-hmm. that was like 
consecrated wine, which okay. is like okay wine, okay. which didn't mean you get drunk. Yeah. Which was what Joe's telling these people, like, drink as much as you fucking want. And John C. Bennett, who I should mention, is a, a, a obstetrician. <laughs> He's a doctor who knows how to, um, you know, administer um, opiates, sandwiches, okay. shall we say. Yeah. Um, he was also, as we've quoted in earlier episodes, um, the one responsible for, he said he had a, a potion that could um, produce abortions, could make you high or kill you. Right. Which is a traditional um, kind yeah. of magical thing. Anyway, John C. Bennett's someone you should pay attention to. <laughs> and when he's saying Joe's doing this, it's it's a... Uh, particularly worth noting um as should be apparent by now joseph did indeed know how to uh quote infuse the spirit which expect they expected to receive (laughs) the fact that hundreds of individuals shared a visionary experience approximately an hour after anointing and sacramental ceremonies uh known carriers for entheogenic agents should leave little room for speculation or argument from Mormon apologists. I'm going to say that now when I go out drinking, I'm going to say I'm going to infuse my I'm gonna, spirit. I'm, gonna infuse, I'm, I'm going to infuse I'm my gonna spirit. I'm going to consecrate this wine. I'm not going to get super. If I wobble to you, that's the spirit of that's the Lord. My, that's not that's, the spirit of the Lord. <laughs> I the Lord. You, you have to keep serving me, sir. I have consecrated this wine. <laughs> Try that. Uh, please email us at mormonsanddrugs.gmail.com. Let us know about your experience with your bartender. And <laughs> your infused soul. <laughs> so, uh... So John C. Bennett was not the only member of the the congregation to spot the entheogenic sacrament uh, as the catalyst for the ecstatic temple dedication. William McClellan, an educated man that professed himself also a medical doctor, because at the time, just to be a doctor was just to be like, hey, guys, I read a couple books. Yeah, right. I'm a doctor now. I know some fancy words, guys. (laughs) Yeah. So, um... (laughs) <laughs> William, while there were people who knew their stuff and were really like good at it, yeah. there were also people like William McClellan who just kind of like, I'm a doctor, guys. <laughs> I won't faint when you bleed. Um, uh, <laughs> he was outspoken about the overabundance of a, a sacramental wine. Quote, as to the endowment in Kirtland, I state positively it was no endowment from God. Not only myself was not endowed, but... No other man of the 500 who was present, except it was with wine, unquote. (laughs) Uh, Doubling down on his examination of the dedication, McClellan reiterated in another statement, quote, You cannot have forgotten the scenes of drunkenness daring that pretended the endowment in Kirtland in 1836. I shall never forget them, nor the hundreds of false prophecies delivered in the temple on that occasion, unquote. So uh, we know, we know that the wine was laced with something. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm, uh, I, think, I think if you've listened to the podcast at this point, uh, <laughs> it should leave little room for speculation. I, so what it was laced with. Yeah. Uh, definitely not just wine, because uh, I, as we've mentioned, uh, the, the idea of drunkenness, like these people knew what drunk was <laughs> a lot of these people drank out of necessity um medicinal yeah medicinally medicinally wait so were they seeing visions i'm sorry did i oh yeah we, we went over that? a few of those vi- i don't know sorry, maybe you were dealing with puppy that? issues hellhound okay. things but 
We did mention a few of them. We'll continue. I think there's a few others. Just cluck it up. Sorry. Um, So while many of the men involved were believers at the time of the dedication, the almost overt use of entheogenic wine orchestrated by Smith proved an unsettling and ironically sobering moment (laughs) of clarity. Um, Continuing on some years later, McClellan again even admitted to aiding the Mormon hierarchy by concealing the more undignified side effects of the entheogenic sacramental wine from public eye. Effects that likely caused McClellan to begin seeing Joe's miracles in a different light. Hmm. Quote, I took care of Samuel H. Smith, Joe's younger brother. (laughs) I took care of Samuel H. Smith in one of the stands so deeply intoxicated that he could not nor did sense anything. I kept him hid from the crowd in the stand, but he vomited in the spit box five times full, and his dear brother Don Carlos would empty it out the window. (gasps) This is during the temple dedication. (laughs) Finally. Five times. Finally, should any more clarification regarding the effects of Joe's sacramental wine? One member of the dedication rather humorously recalled that, and this is, I think, my favorite out of all of the quotes, quote, It was on this occasion that one of the brethren, lying flat on his back, so full of the spirit of drunkenness, that he could not sit up, hiccuped out, Now is the time to see visions! Oh my gosh. Yay! Verily it was. He spake as spirits gave him utterance, but not as the spirit of God. <laughs> Unquote. Oh it's like Raising Arizona. This is like a Coen Brothers movie. Like I, I just like I this. imagine like Gimli being drunk like yes. just how he Oh my god, it has the liquor. <laughs> Oh, so this is the first Mormon temple dedication, by the way. I'm just going to keep hitting that yeah, every chance I Yeah, keep hitting that, hit. please. First really, Mormon temple dedication. It really hits it. Um, <laughs> so angels continued to appear in Kirtland. Um, uh, oh, did they now? Yeah, after the dedication. <laughs> and always after a sacramental or anointing ceremony directed by Smith as the Entheomagus. Um, joined by Cowdery, Smith himself recorded, quote, I assisted the other presidents in distributing the elements of the Lord's Supper to the church. Remember the, the pint of wine and the, the double fist bread, uh, receiving it from the twelve. I retired to the pulpit and the veils being dropped and bowed myself with Oliver Cowdery in solemn and silent prayer. After rising from prayer, the following vision was open to the both of us. The veil was taken from our minds, and the eyes of our understanding were opened. We saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit before us. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and his voice was as the sound of the rushing of great waters. Unquote. So So soothing. So there you have it, uh, Obi. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that the people that are reporting angel sightings after this event are the guys that are participating in the oh he drugged this, everybody oh, it's oh, not I the mean, people around town being drugged, like i saw an angel no, he drugged everybody who went. oh oh yeah, yeah so yeah, this gets complicated yes and no there are people who are um and we've hit this a few times there are people who are individual visionaries people who 
on their own have visions on their own and actually maybe even had their own little cult following within the early Mormons because they see visions on their own. Do you mean like schizophrenia? <sighs> we could, uh, I, I think I have examples of this in later episodes. There's a young woman who there's like a teenage girl who has visions by like dancing her way into ecstasy. And oh, she like, okay. I think we talked about her in an early episode, yeah. but she like dances her way into a state of ecstasy and like starts having visions. And she starts, she has like a little following of Mormons who like listen to her prophecies. Um, and Joe puts a kibosh on her immediately. Oh, um, okay. But, uh, and then there's like Sidney Rigdon, who's another prominent Mormon who can clearly like induce visions in himself. Yeah. The thing that we have to really hone in on is when someone administers something to someone else and gets everyone else to see a vision. That's and given given somebody like Smith's skill set, somebody who's uh, well versed in things like uh, mesmerism and, and early states of hypnotism. Getting everybody into a suggestible state, and then and then and then giving them uh, an something like a psychedelic, which puts you in an even more suggestible state. I mean, if if, if they have so much control over the psychedelic substance they're giving these people, they probably have control over the theater of the situation they're in. Exactly. You just have some guy walking around with fake wings on. And everybody's stoned out of their mind. They're all going to think they're seeing an angel walking around. Mm -hmm. And so last episode, uh, you weren't here, uh, Mr. Obi, but I made a point of having an episode where like there were no drugs. Um, Joseph was in a, a camp uh, that was ill provisioned um, and far from home. And oddly enough, he couldn't induce visions. Hmm. Um, despite needing desperately to do so because uh, morale was so low. If there was a time in Joe's life where he needed to induce visions, it was during Zion's camp. And it's very weird that he couldn't do that hmm. when the camp was so ill-provisioned. Just a few months later, when he's at his home base, around all of his doctors who have all of their home gardens who can help him uh, do, do this... Um, he can get 500 people hopped up on the same thing and see the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? It's it's a bit weird. Um, I Again, I did it earlier in the episodes, but I challenge you again. Find me a more demonstrable uh, explanation for the Kirtland Temple dedication. Given the accounts that I just read to you. <laughs> Bad wheat? Huh? Bad wheat? Oh, I was just ergot saying, poisoning? I was, I was just well, saying. We've talked about ergot. <laughs> it could have been ergot. Just, just Intentional throw, ergot poisoning. Yep, just throwing it out. Okay. Um, so find me a more demonstrable explanation than laced hallucinogenic <laughs> wine with, with anointing ceremonies that lasted over a week. Double fisted. <laughs> Sorry. Double fist and something. <laughs> um, I just... This is the thing that I hang my hat on, is this moment here. Uh, if I was to find one thing that I was just like, this this either makes or breaks the, the theory. Like, you listen to the people that were there and listen to their contextualized accounts, or you don't. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you got to pick, 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 pick one side or the other here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, so... we're going to keep going through Kirtland. We're going to, like, yeah. finish the story out. But this is really, like, but the church this is, open. is the they, they cut that ribbon. They cut the ribbon hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this fucking ribbon. 
She <laughs> runs <laughs> through it like, like it's the finish line. Don Carlos vomits through <laughs> behind him. <laughs> There's I, that. that... I, need, I need a bathroom break. <laughs> we're done. We're yeah, done. We're, we're good. Yeah, we're I good. can tell. Cut the bathroom break. <laughs> part out. Will. I can tell he's wrapping up. Okay. Obi, thank you for your uh, for joining us today. Um, it has been my pleasure. You're the first guest we've ever had. <laughs> really? It's yeah. an honor to have you. Um, as old as you are, I'm impressed that you even made it up the stairs yeah, uh, into our oh, don't, elaborate was... podcasting studio, not bedroom. Let me tell you, my left knee elaborate. is killing me right now. Oh. Getting up those stairs. <laughs> Shit, sorry, they are very sh- steep. It was worth it, though. Well, I, I, I hope that my voice didn't offend anybody. <laughs> I'd like to come back. I'm sure you're welcome anytime. I had a blast. Um, we'd love to have you. I, I'll, I'll try and set up something downstairs so you don't have to walk up that that perilous flight of stairs. He won't do that. Just so I'm really know. sorry. That He's was inconsiderate of me. I was pretty offended, but <laughs> thanks for the consideration. I'll carry you. Piggybacks. Um, uh, wrap up stuff. I, I have a book out. There's a book. The the yep. Psychedelic history of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. Uh, Amazon, uh, the Barnes Noble. Um, places yeah you can find the links on our website website yeah it's everywhere podcast.com or you know if you just don't want to read it you just listen to the podcast it's pretty much the book it's pretty much buy the book too guys (laughs) really if you if you want the book it's mostly for the references and so you can like throw the book at your family and be like i'm serious guys (laughs) (laughs) so like if you want the book there it is but uh also you could just listen it's pretty much the book um and a... our Instagram. Yeah, we're on Always Instagram. welcome to check us out there. Although I haven't posted in a bit, but we will soon. Maybe um, we'll post a picture of the hellhound, Radigat. We can do that. We also post that one pic that someone sent us that was hilarious. <laughs> someone sent us a wonderful picture of them listening to the podcast in their car, sitting in front of a historic site of the first publication of the Book of Mormon. And it uh, tickled me goddamn pink. Yeah, it's pretty And if you're listening now, thank you so much for that picture. I can't tell you how. We giggled vigorously. It made me so happy. (laughs) Um, We'll be posting on Instagram. Uh, If you want to talk to us uh, privately, uh, mormonsanddrugs at gmail.com. Site is mormonsanddrugs.com. Is that it? Oh, I said it wrong. Uh, what's our Instagram? Mormons, Mormons and Drugs Podcast. Mormons and Drugs Podcast. Pretty much more Mormons and Drugs. You'll find us. You can find us. Uh, we love you all. Uh, bye. 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 bye.